We want to thank our sponsor, Avalara and Zipter. Yeah, two two huge podcast. sponsors coming at us. Avalara, the king of sales tax compliance. Yep. If you think you have a sales tax compliance product and it's not Avalara, then you're wrong. And now, on with the podcast. Welcome to the October 2013 edition of the Thrivecast. I am Greg Kite. And I'm John Garrett. And I'm Jason Blummer. I'm here too. No, Jason. Jason, stop. We talked about this, okay? I'm on the podcast though. Hey, seriously, man. Like, okay, we know this this is your podcast, but we're interviewing you today. That's why we've got John here as our guest host. Uh, so you don't, you're not in this part. Okay. Oh, okay. So we'll I'll, just, I'll, I'll mute or something. Okay. We'll just edit that out and post. We'll edit okay. it out. Um, but Hey, yeah. hey so listener, we're so excited that you're back for another edition of Thrivecast. Let me introduce you. We're having a different kind of, uh, of podcast this month. We have, uh, John Garrett, a, a former CPA, a current full-time comic who's here as our guest host. John, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Going to try and kick up the game here from what Jason usually brings. Um, right on. So, Very good. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just on mute. I can still hear. Oh, oh, okay. oh, I didn't know you. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Jason, yeah. Jason, you got to let go of the controls a little bit, bro. Okay. okay I'm back so on mute. Go. We've got this. Right, We've I'm got back. this. Yeah, okay, somebody's you're... type A. Somebody's type A, and it's so, not me. That's for sure. So, uh, John, so John, where uh, where are you at right now? Where in the country I, are we? I live talking? in uh, New York City and uh, do comedy all over the country. And uh, yeah, so uh, right now I'm I'm home in New York, but uh, I'm getting ready to head out to a uh, corporate event in St. Louis. So that's nice. exciting. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Nice. So uh, I'm just excited to be a part of this. Uh, yeah. Totally, and and we're excited to have you. So today, our uh, on this uh, episode, we've got a very exciting guest that we're going to interview uh, later. His name is Jason Blummer. He is the founder of a, uh, a CPA network called the Thrival CPA Network. It kind of sounds like a bunch of crap to me, but we'll hear what he has to say. Uh, just wrote an ebook recently, and we're going to be discussing that. But uh, before we get to that. Because we've got some topics, John, that you and I are going to uh, – that you and I are going to tackle today. Um, and, I'm ex- and I'm totally excited to, to hear this. But before we get into that, uh, tell me a little bit uh, – just, just to get the listeners on board uh, with you, you're a, you are a full-time comic right now. That's your, that's your yeah. sole source of income. That is my sole source of income despite uh, my parents' misgivings. Uh, yes, it right. has been uh, eight years full time doing comedy all over the country, comedy clubs, uh, and now a lot of corporate events. Nice. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of fun because those are my people. You know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, basically, I was being a goof off when I was in the office anyway. So now I just do it in all the different offices. Right. So it's uh, I'm like spreading chaos. It's pretty yeah. fantastic. And before that, it, well, and it's and it's re- actually it's really cool to me to to be able to say that I that I know you and that you're my pal. I first I very first even found out about you. I was listening to the Bob and Tom show, right? And, uh, and you were on there, and and it was and it was so funny because comics can be like this because that was I think I heard about you. When it was after I started my transition, because I used to be a, a math teacher and I made a midlife career change into accounting. Because and so it's only cooler, right? It's it's only cooler, and because I couldn't stand those little bastards. And so, <laughs> um, so, uh, and I wanted something that you know that would really make me feel alive and like I was doing something good for the world. You know, so and that's I, exactly how I felt about public accounting. I couldn't stand those bastards. And I feel alive. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, so that, so that was really, oh, but, but that's what I was getting at. So I was just, I had been doing uh, comedy before I made the transition and I'm listening and I'm going, man, I need to, I need to start changing my whole, uh, my whole thing on stage and, and start doing more accounting stuff. And then I hear you on Bob and Tom and I'm like, oh no, somebody else already took that space. <laughs> right, right. 
Right, so, that's how comedy works. There's only one black comedian. There's right. only one overweight comedian. Right. And I, I already have the comedy, the corporate accounting comedy. So, yeah, exactly. So the, no, not at all. We we could use a lot more accounting comedians. Uh, right. Bob Newhart, you, me. I mean, look, that is a sad, sad team. That is. That's not even a basketball team. I mean, we only have three. Right. There's a there's a dude in. I found a dude in the uh, in the UK. That's a that's a current charter. Yeah, but they don't over. follow gaps, so I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even. <laughs> right. want to, he's I dead to me. He's dead to me. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, okay, but give us give us a little background because you. I, I remember what you and I, I. I was out in New York for a comedy festival in May, and that's right. when you and I met face to face, and we sat down, and and I was blown away because your uh, your resume is like a thousand times better than mine. And it's like, it's like at <laughs> least a hundred times my better than resume or my accounting. No, your I'm accounting, just... your accounting resume is astounding. No, so, no, and, no. and it's at least a hundred times better than Jason's. And he's our guest that we're going to interview later in the well, podcast. Obviously Jason's not a very good CPA because he's got a lot of time to write an ebook. So, right. You know, I mean, right. Precisely. I'm just on mute. This is still, Jason. Okay. Still, oh, you know, I keep forgetting that he's not here for this. This is part. me. Jason. Um, Jason. What? Knock it off. What? John. Seriously. Crap. John. So tell us about tell us about your uh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I graduated uh University of Notre Dame and uh I uh accounting went to and uh was there for about two and a half years. Uh wait, did a lot can you wait, hold on. Can you say that you were with or do we need to beep that out? Is there anything incriminating that you're gonna say? Uh, I was with a big four firm that Look, goes by three letters. Yeah, let's call and, them. Uh, uh, we'll call them Price, Water, Young, and Touche. Right, right, okay, all right, okay, right, and uh, yeah, and it was great. I learned a lot and did a lot of like merger acquisition stuff, and then mostly internal audit uh, controls. And uh, yeah, and uh, it was good. And I didn't, uh, uh, you know, started doing comedy at night. And then eventually uh, started getting paid to do comedy, and I figured, you know what, I'm just going to give this a ride. So I quit the firm and went to a, a, a private job, and and, uh, and, and what, did, what was that? That was with the bank, right? Well, it was a well the, when I was with PwC, yes, or I mean when I was with the Big Four, yes, <laughs> right, right. When it was you... uh, it was with a large bank doing the internal audit. They outsourced okay. it, to us. and okay. uh, yeah, yes. and. Uh, and so it was good. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bank merged. They wanted to move everybody. And then Sarbanes-Oxley hit. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let the firm decide whether or not I have a job. You know, I'm going to go and do my own thing. So I was pursuing comedy at night and uh, doing uh, – then I went on to another job. And then eventually left corporate world altogether to do stand-up. And that was right. May, May of 2005 was my Bastille Day. My, uh, I'm out of here. Right. Power to the people. Right. How did that and how did that go down? Were you like were you like uh, tipping over desks and you know like Yeah, it was like a like a Saturday live skit where I'm like, F this, I'm out of here. Yeah, like did you throw a ten key like through your through your managing partner's window in his office? In my head, all of that happened. All (laughs) of that actually the way it went down was actually pretty fantastic because they had hired a new manager about four or five months before I did quit. And he uh, didn't like me very much because he was oh. very trolling and he would come by your cube all the time to make sure uh, that you were doing what you're doing. So I would always have ESPN.com minimized. And when I saw him coming, I would just blow it up on my screen. So every single time he came to my cube, I had ESPN.com up on my every time. That's awesome. And it was completely insane. So he tried to just nitpick every little thing I said and bring a case to human resources. But the problem is is I had nothing. There was nothing to do. So we had this meeting with me and him and the director and and all this. And he it was so funny. He's like, well, you said this. And I'm like, yeah, I did. What are you going to do about it? And he's like, well, you know. Uh, we need to curb your behavior. And I was like, well, I'm not sure if I care to do that because I don't respect you one bit. And then, yeah. And then I go, is this meeting done? And I walked out. Is this meeting done? I did. And then you just drop the mic and leave the room. Drop the mic. And then I should have made a YouTube video like that chick last week. She's got all kinds of job offers, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it, it literally went down like that. And then I came in like, uh, the next day and did fine. And then I went to the director and I'm like, you know, I don't think I can stay here too much longer. 
And then uh, four days later, I was like, I'm out. And, cool. Uh, hey, hey, John, I have not seen this video of some lady quitting. Can you send the link to uh, to us, and we'll put it in the show notes so people could can uh, can check it out if they yeah, haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's not really even that funny, but uh, it's just a, a girl that made this video at like four thirty in the morning in her office, basically just to show her supervisor that she was quitting. And, nice. Uh, yeah, and then she gets a uh, twelve million hits. Nice, yeah, because yeah. that because she she deserves it. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, okay. So here, but, but some of the things you said really transition to some of the stuff that I really want to tackle before we uh, before we get going with uh, uh, the interview. And that is the uh, uh, I, I want to talk to you about the results only work environment because um, that's a big that's a big thing that we push on this uh, podcast. And the results only work environment is this idea that uh, that that business does not well we've we've transitioned uh as an economy into a service economy and a knowledge we have knowledge workers we don't have factory workers anymore right. and as as such uh businesses don't need to micromanage their knowledge as the basic tenant of it is uh that employees can do whatever they want whenever they want as long as the work gets done the weight of that whole uh, idea, which is being embraced in more and more places, but it, it did take some. Uh, if you were, if, if anybody's been following that movement, it took some big ups and downs during the uh, the Great Recession. But the 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 real weight of making a results only work environment effective lands on a manager because it's the manager's job to make sure that the employees know exactly what it is that they're supposed to be getting done, what the real work of the company is. Right. And it, and it sounds, and, and one of the things that we see in a results only work environment is that if you're really doing it, you don't have managers who are wand, you know, who, who are, you know, right. managing by walking around. Right. That sort right. of thing. No, and, absolutely. And, and it, and it, what it does is it better, I think it better utilizes the skills of the people that you have, because I mean, you know, results only, you know, work environment, I would probably still be working there because there were so many times where, you know, at the big four or at, you know, the corporate job that I did after, you know, where FaceTime was the number one thing. And the whole time I was thinking, well, maybe this guy's just really terrible at his job and really inefficient. Because I got it done and I'm ready to leave at three and this dude's still doing it at 6.30 p.m. Like, right. and why is this guy getting promoted when he's obviously not good at it? Right. If he, if he can't do it in a, you know, fast enough time. And then not only that, but if, if I get it done at three, then the manager should realize, oh, well, this guy can handle more of a workload. And so then you get more challenging projects. So right. if you have if you have employees that are goofing off, if you have employees that aren't engaged, it's because you're not giving them the proper work or the proper amount of work. Or right. the flip side is you're giving them too much and they're like, F this, I can't even do any of it. So screw right. it. I'm not, you know. So, you know, but it is, the weight is on the manager. And the problem is, is that a lot of managers aren't very good managers. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The reason why you're a manager is because you're who's left. Everyone else that's good quit and you were what's left. So we promoted you because you're the one who's been here in the longest. The and so that's that's the problem with corporate America. And that's why I tell jokes for a living now instead of working there. Right. And, and that's, and that's really interesting what you said that you, you would pro so, so th it sounds like there was a few things that were, uh, that, that were factors for you leaving the accounting profession. One of the things that I, that I read a lot is that we accounting as opposed to the economy in general, a accounting has a, a normal unemployment rate of somewhere in the high 4%, which is what you generally get just from normal churn in a normal economy. Um, and I see, you know, we see articles that are saying that, uh, that, um, uh, business schools are churning out just barely enough accounting graduates 
to meet the demand that's in the market that we have right now. So it's a pretty it's a pretty stable thing. But there's there's articles come out about like the battle for new talent. But it sounds like you were some of the talent that we had in the accounting profession that the accounting profession lost, at least in part because we weren't doing business right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the market crashed and see what happened. It's all my fault. No, it is. Uh, it, no, is. it is. Way to go, John Garrett. Well, you Let's know, well, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's all me. Sorry, guys. Sorry about your millions. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, but part of it also is, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, accounting is 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 great, but it, it wasn't really my my true calling. I mean, I, I prefer okay. more forward thinking, uh, you know, how to run a business, uh, you know, merger acquisition type of things going forward using the accounting as a foundation, but then be doing, you know, as opposed to audit where it's backward looking, everything yeah. that's already happened, making sure that it's done right. And, and that's right. part of the reason why I became a comedian is because I wasn't really a great auditor because I would go in and I would get that random sample of 10 files and nine yeah. of them would be great. And then the 10th one wouldn't have like a little red check mark that meant that Sally reviewed it. <laughs> and so I would just go back to the lady and be like, hey, can you just give me one that's right? And then I don't have to write anything up and we can oh, just go no. home early. And she's uh, like, you're the best auditor ever. And I said, well, that's our secret. And so, like, <laughs> oh, my <so>. gosh. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And uh, yeah. Do, but I mean, that... it wasn't like a material thing. It wasn't a big thing. It was more of like, somebody's going to get a slap on the wrist for this. And I don't feel like taking time to write this up. So, right. Right. Just, right. So and that's kind of how, that's kind of how it started at Enron. So, um, right. So, that, <laughs> so that's, Boom. that's awesome. Um, okay. But, but that, okay. So again, that's another thing with, with on the podcast and in, in the Thrival CPA network, one of the things that we're big about is is a lot of you, you totally were just touching on it as what 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 engaged your mind was running a business and doing strategic things that were that were forward looking not not looking right. back in the past one of the things that we notice with accounting firms is that a lot of accounting firms are not run like normal businesses right. are are run and there's a lot of stuff that's just uh, that's, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's minimizing risk because it's getting these engagement letters where we basically say, hey, here's the end product. Please write a blank check for us to do as much work as we think we need to to get you this end product. And we're going to bill by the hour to make sure that we don't lose any money, regardless of how long this takes us. And that's right. and, and there's people, to, you know, that you got you got people who, you know, and I don't want to I, I don't want to sound overly pretentious or condescending, but I'm going to for a second because you, you've got, well, cause you, Jason's not here and that's why you're going to do it. I was, right. just, I was just on mute. Oh, yo, see, that's very pretentious of you, Jason. Yeah, I know. God. I'm stalking he, us quietly. Are you in Jason, my bushes? <laughs> Jason, I'm actually glad you're back for just a second. How much longer do we have until we're done with this part of the podcast? We can just do the whole hour. We'll get to Jason some other day. I told no, you to keep time. I know. I know. And I didn't do it. How much time do we have left? I didn't. De- I didn't keep time either. <laughs> okay, that's okay. I'll is, pretend is like you. Jason, time. Jason, you gotta stop barging in on Sorry. our conversation. Crap. I don't need. I don't need you. Um, I'm. I'm glad to be a part of the first podcast you guys have ever done. Um. <laughs> um so okay. So so, so what did you see? Even recording right now. <laughs> I, th- I think we're recording. I don't. I don't know. The, there's. <laughs> the, <I> don't, <laughs> This is what do you, this is a very professional and tight ship. Um, so, so what did, were there things that you saw at Ernst and water touche that, um, that, or at the, the other company you went to afterwards, were there, were there things that you saw in there that were just shocking to you that they were able to happen in a business setting? Yeah. Well, it's the company that I went to, um, the, I left, you know, big four and then I went to this, uh, healthcare network. And, um, it was a, a, a network of different hospitals and what have you. And so in order to consolidate the financials, they had Lawson, uh, the computer program, but, uh, instead of using Lawson in the general ledger, what they would do is each of the six hospitals would fax, fax a paper financial statement to a lady who would then manually enter the financial one line items into uh, Excel and uh-huh. one hospital would use Lawson 
The other six were manually entered into Excel, and then that's how they consolidated their financial statements. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I was like, that's not very efficient. Um, yeah. That's That not only is this terribly you know, slow, but there's a huge error yeah, uh, yeah, margin yeah. here that can happen just manually entering numbers. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so another guy and I worked, uh, that was one of our little special projects to get like the GLs from all the hospitals. And of course, not all the hospitals use loss. And, and of course, not all the hospitals use the same GL because why would they, okay. you know, why would we want right. to be efficient and make everything run smoothly? No. And so, you know, it's very frustrating, but Eventually, we got it to where they just sent like a GL data dump, and we just plugged it into our Lawson, and then it downloaded, and then everything just flowed from there, which was great. But yeah, I mean, or when I was in Big Four, I moved from one office uh, in St. Louis to Milwaukee for this big bank project. And um, so while I was there, I was actually receiving two paychecks. I was receiving a paycheck from the St. Louis office and a paycheck from the Milwaukee office. What? Yes, for they six double, pay periods. Six they were pay double periods. paying you? Yes, double paying me, and I went to them every single time, and I'm like, "Look, you guys are going to figure this out eventually, and you're going to want your money back, so right. cut it out." Right. I'm not like I'm not trying to steal this. Stop doing it. And then another paycheck, double paycheck. Please, double please paycheck. stop forcing yeah. me to embezzle money from my employer. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm, doing I'm a this CPA. Already. I'm right. capable of embezzling on my own. I don't right. need your help. Right. Because we don't all do taxes, Greg. Some of us embezzle. Okay. Right. That's right. what we do. Exactly. So anyway. Yeah, so I went to them, and then finally, after like the sixth time, I went to the partner that was like a national, and I go, hey, what would happen if we audited ourselves? Like, And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, that's what drove me completely insane, is we're out here writing all these management letters and you know slapping people on the wrist for doing things incorrectly. I'm getting two paychecks. That's yeah. a huge red flag. Yeah. Huge red flag. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like the, it's like the uh, auto mechanic who doesn't who who has a a car that's just barely running right, because right. they don't want to do stuff and that yeah that's a really interesting thing of in terms of just do uh, what accounting for well and this is something that shocks me because you've got accounting firms that don't have internal controls even though we all know the fraud triangle and know you know like uh, uh, the billable hour there are people who are fraudulently filling out their timesheets every oh, week yeah. or every day Expense and there's reports oh yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah and it's like okay we can all fill out a fraud triangle that yeah there's pressure opportunity and rationalization all over the place for people to do to do stuff like that but there's there's no internal controls or internal audit set up to do that. I want to go back just a, 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 a step to what you were talking about. What was the program that would consolidate the financial statements? Uh, we used Lawson, which Lawson. is uh, sort of like an SAP type program. Okay. Uh, but I'm also, you know, going back 10 years. Right. So, you know, maybe it was an MS-DOS boot disk that we used. I don't know. Right. We, we ran it on a Commodore 64. Right, so right, it was really right. high tech. Well, at, and, least, uh, at least you'd, you'd gone past the VIC-20. So that's, that's right, nice. Right, right. But, um, you know, some of the people listening to this podcast probably still use Lawson. Lawson so. sounds like a guy you beat up after accounting class. Yeah, we're, <laughs> right. after this we're asking podcast, all the questions. Jason. Yeah, the kid that kept interrupting. All the yeah. cool stuff that was happening. Right. That's right. what it sounds like. Yeah, right. that's what's going on. This is Lawson. So, yeah, so, but but John, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like uh, Lawson is like the program that people would use and then get beat up for using it or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, <laughs> uh, um, uh, but you're but here. But here's why I wanted to go with that. You you were saying that um, that these that these uh, they were doing it that way. Because it was they were you were like let's why not let why not be efficient and use the program the way it's supposed to be. But I think this is the problem that you see with that is that for whoever for these different individual hospitals, they're trying to think okay, I've got a deadline. How do I get from here to there in the fastest manner possible? So for them, doing it in this backward way where they ignore the technology that's that, that's already been purchased and that is available to them they're thinking for this granular job that i have to do right now this is the most efficient this is the fastest way for me to get to point a to point b where i need to get without a big picture look at oh right it, we need to get it, it's not going to be efficient 
those first few times while you're getting this process down, while you're getting a standardized uh, general ledger between all of you, then you have to take your general ledger and you've got to change it to meet the standard. That's not efficient when you do it the first time, but it sure is effective because then you can start meeting these deadlines in a proper way with fewer errors because you're doing it the way you're supposed to. And, right, and I, right. I, I think it's that short sightedness that that we all have. And especially in CPA firms, that short sightedness gets rewarded because you go, yeah, if we do a lot of work right now, we can make this so that it's uh, so it's way more effective down the road. But we're not going to. And guess what? I'm rewarded, actually, for not getting more effective because now I can bill more hours because I've got these engagement letters where my clients have given me a blank check that I can write. Right. You're rewarded because you're there at 8 p.m. trying to figure out, yeah, how to to rework what, yeah, yeah. Manually than, key in these things so that we right. can do it in the way that, that that there's robots that'll do it for us. Right. So, um, yeah. So, so definitely. So that's an excellent question, Greg. I don't even know what the question was. No, I'm just oh, well, I was just. It was just a I'm rant just about. It was just. No, 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 it's true. It's no, true I do man. Have, if y'all, if y'all run out of stuff to talk about, you can talk about me. Yeah, we we will soon. Jason, hey John, I'm really excited about our our guest that we're having uh, to to interview soon. Um, I can't wait to get him on the phone. But we got one last. I got one last thing to, that right. I want to run past you in terms of billable hours. Did you? So you said you weren't so much in audit or tax. You were in an internal audit function. At right, uh, we were outsourced to you know other clients. So we would right. go into the client. You know, it was basically what Sarbanes actually you know, chopped up, you know, right. you, you're the external and the internal right. and then, you know, you can't do both. And right. so, uh, so yeah, so we, you know, the internal audits, efficiencies, controls, uh, you know, and, and I focused more on, you know, the efficiencies. And when you talk to people and they're like, well, this is really annoying. And then you go and talk to someone else and they're like, well, this is also really annoying. And then you find out that they're overlapping and then you, you just sit them down and they work, you know, 20 feet apart from each other, but they never talk to each other. Right. to figure out how they can actually fit together as opposed to butting heads. Right. And then that's what I really enjoyed doing was, you know, when I left, I left the place better, not in the sense that, oh, Susie has to make sure she checks all the files, you know, with a right. red marker. No, right. you, you know, whatever. But, you know, that this person's day-to-day operation is going to be better and you know, become a happier, more productive worker. I mean, that's right. what I I enjoyed doing most. You right. know, and, you know, the whole got to bust them and got to, you know, I got them and uh, mentality yeah. just drove me crazy. Yeah. It's just and that, crazy. And you saw, so, so you were, you, you felt like you were able to, uh, to align with, you, you weren't the bad guy. You were able to come in and say, here's some valuable things that I can do with your business to make this a better business. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you know, and, but you know, when it came to billable hours, yeah. And it was hilarious because, you know, in order to, you had to have so many billable hours or so yeah. much percentage and especially during busy season. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and Hey, if you're, if you're not assigned to a client right away, well then uh-huh. what the, you know, I, I've got, yeah. to do. you know, you're hanging out in the office and then somebody who thinks they're so important that they can't interrupt their time to go get up from their chair to go make some copies. Then they uh-huh. call you and you have to go up three floors and walk across the office right. to, get, to grab 10 pieces of paper to make copies for some, you know, manager that thinks she's so important uh, that she can interrupt her train of thought. And right. So, oh, this is, I went to college for this. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a, but you know, but the, the best part about the billable hours was when, when you got promoted, you get more vacation time. However, if you used all your vacation time, you would not reach that billable hour percentage. Yeah. So therefore they gave you vacation time. You couldn't even use. Right. So it's right. like, you know, it's like, this is the most ridiculous and we're accountants. Of course we're going to do the math and figure this yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Totally. You think you're going to spoon feed us this and I don't know. So, uh, you know, it was, it was great, but the, yeah, but the billable hour concept, you know, you should pay for the project as a client and then, you know, you deliver that project. And if you deliver it in one day, well, then we were really good. And yeah. if you deliver it in three months and you lost money, well, then you need to rework how you do stuff or maybe exactly. you don't do projects that are like that. Yeah. Just like how contractors do, 
And there's right. a lot of contractors who do that and do it effectively. And they didn't have to go to graduate school to get 150 hours to figure out how to run businesses. But they right. can do that, and apparently we can't. So, so there you go. Uh, John, uh, awesome I, 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 awesome insights, but we got to get our, uh, we gotta get our, our, our uh, guest onto the show right now. So let's get Jason Blummer on the phone. Nice. Woo-hoo. Is it my turn? Yeah. Hey, can we edit in? Let's try that. Let's edit in some some rings real quick so it sounds like we're calling you. Okay, so let's try that one more time. Let's get Jason Blummer on the phone, right? Oh, hello. Hey, Jason, it's John Garrett and Greg Kite on the Thrivecast. Hey, How are you doing today? Hey, John and Greg. Hey, How are y'all doing? Hey, we're, we're so thankful that you could break away from your busy, busy schedule of, of interrupting people's conversations to, uh, to be here on the Thrivecast today. Big time. Big thanks to you for doing that. Well, yeah, I'm calling from uh, uh, Germany. I'm speaking at some conferences um, so you just barely got me between some flights. Uh, I'm going to Australia nice. to speak to another conference. I'm very important. So cool. You know, so that, you know who has a great sense of humor? Germans. Yeah. Too. <laughs> they're funny. They're, they're very funny. They're hilarious. hilarious. And uh, they need. They need. They're very creative. So I see why they brought you in. Funny and creative. <laughs> hey, I'm pumped to be on the podcast. This hey. this is cool. Yeah, and we're and we're totally stoked to uh, to get you on the podcast. And hey, Jason, just like we like to do with all of our uh, our, our podcast guests, give us a give us a quick uh, a history of like like where did you you know where did you go to college and how did you get from there to where you are at right now? Sure. Well, my undergrad is from Georgetown, and then I got my MBA um, from Harvard. Okay, and then I. Wow. And then I just went and got a PhD over at MIT after that. And, Excellent. Um, just across the river. I mean, why not? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not too far away. So after I did that, I was like the managing director of um, Ian uh, Ernst and uh, Touche for a little uh-huh. while. Ernst and Touche. Good. Managing yeah, I, director. You sounded, your name sounded familiar. Yeah. Well, I was there. We had some problems with um, double paychecks <laughs> going to people. Yeah. Well... Uh, how do you think I afforded my apartment here? In <laughs> so anyway, after doing that, I went to work with my dad. Um, <laughs> his, it's, it's a standard arc that people follow. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get back home. And so uh, then I went to work with my dad and we worked out of. I love bed. stereotypes. I love stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. So and then and then I wanted to start a podcast a couple of years ago. And here I am. That's kind of where I've come from today. Sweet. Uh, what's the name of your podcast? Um, the Thrivecast, I think. Wow, we'll have to check that out. It's um, pretty good. The uh, okay, so you wrote. So here's the thing: you wrote an ebook, and this thing is bl- this thing is crashing the internet all over the world because people are 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 reading it and can't put it down. Um, it is called uh, Growth Strategies for Creatives, and could you give us kind of, j- just give us like a, a brief uh, summary? Of, of what your book is about, not because I haven't read it, but this is to get the listeners up to speed. Right. Well, the title is Growth Strategy for Creatives. A lot of people add strategies. Is this the part where I interrupt? Is this the part? <laughs> yeah, that's probably good. <laughs> so it's Growth Strategy for Creatives. You can get it at jasonblummer.com. So there's just one strategy? Yeah, there, there's a second book coming, Greg. That's oh, right. Damn. Yeah, so um, maybe it should have been plural, but it's uh, singular as it is well, now. I can't even believe there's one strategy in this book, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, so no, so the book is really it's an it's an effort to to market to my core niche in our firm, which is creative uh, creative companies, and so we coach a lot of creative people, and so there's there's a lot of strategy to growth. And so we wanted to kind of document it all down and mainly give a little bit of instruction and theory up front and toward the back, kind of give them three different levels. They can grow through to give the the reader context as to where their creative firm is and kind of where they are and how they could possibly move to the next level of growth. Right. Uh, very, right? very good. Um, okay. So one of the things that, that you that you talk about a lot and that this and this kind of hit me uh, is is that companies should not grow simply for the sake of growth. There needs to be strategic growth. 
But one, of the, I need you to to defend that because if we're talking about a brand new startup company that it, that just doesn't well, like for instance, here's I think this was one of the things that that really hit me. Um, Do you have flow uh, charts there? Yeah, sounds got, good. I've got no. This is my. This I, I have sound effects to make it look like I'm I'm paying attention. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but, but no, talk me through this. So you you got a brand new company, and and you're telling them that one of the things they need to do is they need to they need to they need to find their focus, find their niche, kind of like you have with your firm, and they need to resolve to to serve that niche. And you even said this. You said that 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 pruning, that whole idea of pruning, where you go, we're going to get rid of these other clients. We're going to focus on these types of clients. That pruning re- tests your resolve because as soon as you do that, somebody's going to show up at your door and want to write you a hundred thousand dollar check to do business for them. And I go, oh my gosh, if I'm a struggling business and someone's sitting there ready to write me a hundred thousand dollar check, then I need to take that. You need to defend this whole no growth for the sake of That's growth. Because you have no stuff. soul, Greg. You have no soul. That's why right. you would take that money. That's right. Yeah. So when you have no soul and you'll do anything for money, then this book's not best for you. So. But you might want to start with the Bible. That's okay. right. <laughs> There's the growth I'm, strategy in there. I'm pinned down that road. Okay. So let me just – so here's the gist of growth strategy. It's basically that growing is okay, but growth is something you control. So it's something you don't let happen to you. It's something that you you define and you intentionally let it happen. So everything uh, within the book, you know, should be read within that context that growth. I mean, sometimes you want to grow and sometimes you want to grow fast. Sometimes you want to take that large client, but um, oftentimes you, you don't need to be growing. There are times when you need to slow your growth or stop your growth. Um, I think, so the main gist of the front part of the ebook where there's a lot of theory is that growth is not something you let happen to you. And so stop letting it happen to you, but instead be more intentional. And and then toward the middle of the ebook, yeah, you can start talking about pruning. If you're starting uh, to do more mature type growth strategies, which pruning is more of a mature strategy, you, you typically don't do it in the first few years of your company. But okay. when you do, that's when you start actually making hard decisions. And some of them would be to turn down even large clients just for the money because the money often blinds yeah. us. In growth, that's all we see, uh, but sometimes our, our processes can't handle it. We don't have the right people to do that work, uh, and it just blows up, and we end up actually incurring a loss, whereas had you not taken that client, you would have been more profitable. That That's pretty common. So, so Okay, so so pruning comes comes a little later. You, you, get, yeah. you get your legs at the beginning, and you are maybe taking everything that comes to you because, because you need to put food on the table, and... And the pruning comes later, right? Yeah, t- typically. Okay, um, so th- and that leads me to that because this is the other thing that came to mind. Because for some reason, that that whole uh, scenario that you painted of somebody coming and saying, "Hey, I like what you do. I'm not in your niche, but I'd like to pay you this huge lump of money to work for me." Um, it, it, have you found that people find a niche and find and, and start pursuing a strategy for that niche? And then they go, oh my gosh, I had, there was a better niche over the, cause there's testing. Cause that's kind of, that, that's one of the things. How do you know when to stay the course and how do you know when to cut your losses and, and, and find a new niche or new strategy? Yeah, that's hard. Did my uh, mom send you, Greg? Did my mom <laughs> send you? <laughs> yeah. When, at what point do you realize that stand-up comedy just isn't, isn't going to put food on the <laughs> table for, for my grandbabies? Yeah. Y'all okay? listen up. Y'all listen At what up. point do you just create your own podcast and write a twenty-seven page ebook? <laughs> At what point do you? <laughs> it's that. That's how you grow, right? You create your own podcast and write your own book, and then you have a lot to talk about. Now I get it. <laughs> so, what was your question, Greg? <laughs> my, my question was, when do you? When do you know? Oh, are there strategy. bad I got strategies? It. Are there bad niches? Do have you seen people that have made the wrong choice? And when do you, how, how long is resolve tested? And how often is a hundred thousand dollar potential client that doesn't fit your niche? When is that the the sign from heaven that you need a new niche? <laughs> Listen, I do, people don't niche or niche as some of our friends on the podcast have said before. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think I've ever run into a situation where I'm trying to counsel somebody on, hey, I think this is the wrong niche. You need a new one. 
Um, nope. it, you're just nope. saying you need a niche. Yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody niches. And how do you find them? I think typically niches, niches, they find John, you. John, how do you say it? Do you say niche or niche? I always say niches bring stitches. That's what I say. And uh, <laughs> okay, let's use niche. John has, is our definitive guide to. I think think niche is very, you know, pretentious, like a guy that would be on mute for the first half of a podcast. A niche kind of guy. You know, it's just niche. Yeah. Let's do niche. niche. Well, in the South, we say things like niche. We like that. We like Uh, that. You fixing a niche? You fixing a niche? I'm fixing it. Right. We have it. We have a new. We had it. We were going to make a bumper sticker that said "Life's a niche, and then you grow." Uh, but, I, but then, <laughs> but then I think I think our bizarro, like the 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 uh, the podcast that that says exactly the opposite of what we do, needs to have a bumper sticker that says "Niches bring stitches," <laughs> and that's Bizarro Thrivecast. The Bizarro Thrivecast. I like exactly. it. So we were talking about niches. Back right. b- back to me. Yeah. But back to me. Yeah, you and your your ebook called <laughs> Growth Strategies for Creatives. It's it's singular actually in the title. You, know, you can probably oh, make growth this ebook strategy. like twelve pages if you made the margins less than four inches. <laughs> you could probably get it. So it's, it's designed, man. You learned that in your MBA at Harvard, didn't you? That's right. Like, oh, we need twenty-seven page font, forty-three. That's right. <laughs> so okay, so the title's just singular. So it's Growth Strategies. For creative. <laughs> so, so back to niche. Again, people don't, people are scared to niche. So it's often true that I'm trying to help people. It's called narrowing their positioning. Narrow, right. Right. you know, narrow what you do, narrow what you say, narrow what you tell people. And when I say narrow, that means just go narrow into your niche. But um, obviously, people think when you narrow, the number of clients you can serve, obviously they think, uh, well, then that's less clients and less money, and that's scary. But actually, right. the opposite is true. So a lot of growth strategy, and I may have mentioned it in the ebook, is very counterintuitive. And so okay. the opposite is actually true. Um, so when you think narrowing your niche or limiting who you take actually limits your money, actually it does the opposite. Um, you become a specialist, you increase your price, and you actually make more money. And do a little less work, and actually do better work too. Okay, which and that okay, so that kind of leads to another question I have for you. You said uh, that that uh, that okay, so you got this strategy, you started pruning, you found your niche, and, but well, and, and you put this in context for me: pricing your services high and being committed to high margin work. You say that's what people need to do: pricing your services high and being committed to high margin work. That sounds like a very quick way to fail as a new company to me. Yeah, it, it, Prove it, me wrong. Yeah, well, no, you, you do have to be dangerous. I mean, not dangerous. You do have to be careful. Because <laughs> <'cause, laughs> Dangerous being the opposite of the word you wanted to say. Right, <laughs> right you were close. You do have to. <laughs> Hold on, let me get my thesaurus and look up yeah, something else that right. means dangerous. Well, you got, have to be careful. That's the word I was I've looking at. I've got my, my dictionary up. So, no, listen. So here's the thing about growth in general. People just don't even plan for growth at all. It's not even something they intentionally try to, try to create, and that was really the gist of the book. So okay. the whole goal is to make sure um, you're doing what you plan on doing. Um, uh-huh. And so pricing high. I mean, uh, is is one thing you'll want to do sometimes. You do, but you do have to be careful. Sometimes it's not the right time to do that, and that's why at the beginning of the book that you read, because I think you read it, Greg, right? At oh, I be- read cover to cover. At the beginning of it, it's uh, to be intentional. Sometimes you slow growth. Sometimes you don't grow at all. Sometimes you put the gas on um, because it, it does come at different times. But if you think about it, and again, this is another counterintuitive growth strategy, right? Um, I've told some clients I've coached before to double their price, and that makes them very scared. So yeah. growth often takes um, you have to do you have to take risk to grow. But what happens is that high price is the the fastest thing you can do tomorrow to differentiate your company among your competitors. So um, so if you think about it, if if you and all your competitors are pricing the same, 
then it's really hard very quickly for a potential client to go, who's best, who can help me, who has the expertise? But if they see you double from everybody else, what it at least does is starts a conversation. And it's like, why do you think you can charge me double everybody else? So now they're talking to you and you can talk about your value. Well, I think they give you a little more respect as well. I think so. Um, I find that, you know, in comedy anyway, you know, when people come to you and you quote a price and they're like, oh, well, you know, we can get a clown that does balloon animals for one hundred and twenty five dollars. I'm like, well, yeah, go get him, you know. (laughs) But, you know, so and then but then when you when you raise your price, you come in and they actually have, you know, professional sound system and lights and a stage because they care. And they're like, oh, this guy's for real. This is a legitimate business, you know, and then I think that, you know, I think that that's a good thing. But it is hard to figure out what that price point is, do you find that you base it off of your competitor's price or do you base it just truly in a silo? Yeah, that's um, hard. So how, how do you determine your price? That's that's the creative part of what we can do as you know CPA firms. It's kind of an unknown. It really just depends on the subjective you know, nature. So I have to pay you to find out how much I should That's pay. right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could you tell just you. You a new client. That's yeah, right. Come on my podcast, and I'll make you a client. You are a wizard. I'm awesome. Yeah. He 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 emailed you an engagement letter before we started, so that should be in your right. inbox. No, but you make you make a good point. When you price high, you're actually dealing with a different type of client. It's just yeah, it's right. just different people come to your website. It's and it's typically people with other rich friends. Um, you start playing in better circles when you start charging more now. Inevitably, what it means is when you charge more, it means you're not going to win all of the clients. And that's what everybody's scared about. But that's that's the intentionality um, of growth. And that's kind of starting to take us into pruning uh, because not every client is best for you, no matter what price they're paying. They they still may be the worst client ever. They may not do a lot for, you know, for bringing you other clients, for referrals. Um, So, you know, you know, the pricing Pricing high is one way to prune because you can right. double your price and then you've just pruned half the people probably that would have typically hired you at the prior price. Uh, they won't do that anymore. So right, hey John, have you have you, do you do that in comedy? Are there gigs that you just refuse to take? Oh, definitely, and that's when I email you, Greg, and I'm like, here, you do it. <laughs> hey, here's, I got this great lead, Greg. How about you take this one? No. <laughs> Greg's like, thank you so much. Yes, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I can't so, believe he's doing it. Oh my. <laughs> What a Absolutely. I mean, when you work your way up, you know, when you start in comedy, you do every gig that's thrown your way. You know, you're doing a bar on a Friday night while people are playing pool. You're like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then, you know, eventually you're like, you know what, that isn't fun. And that isn't good for me either. And so eventually you're like, you know what, I don't need to do that gig anymore. And so then you stop doing those. And then eventually you you just you work your way up to where you're like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to be OK. And then, you know, actually, Last year uh, was great for me personally. I did less shows but made more money, um, which I guess is the dream. Um, But yeah, but I mean, just, you know, doing more corporate events, raising my price a little bit and, uh, you know, just focusing on that more as opposed to, you know, the comedy clubs that don't pay as much. They're fun and, you know, they're for the public. But, you know, for me as an individual, um, you know, but the hardest point for me is just finding what that price point is that – You know, because I mean, but the thing is, is, you know, for the businesses that Jason deals with, these are businesses that deal with customers that on a regular basis where, you know, for me, you know, I won't do a company, you know, maybe once every five years. You know, I'm not coming back on a regular basis. Um, So that that is the hard part is, you know, just figuring, well, what is a fair price? And then, you know, let's just move on. And and I'm the worst at negotiating and all that stuff. I mean, you know, so do you find that negotiating is worth it, Jason, or do you just stay firm and be like, this is where I'm at? And- well, you know, there. so there's a lot of pricing psychology to how you price. Um, so I think, I think it's a caring thing for potential clients when you give them three options. I mean, that's, that's always, that's just part of pricing psychology. And I think what that's saying to them, they come and say, what will you do this work for? Instead of offering a price and their option being accept that or go away, now they have three options and they're like, cool, now I'm in control. I get to pick what I want. Uh, So three options is just a huge pricing uh, psychology. And you you almost, the the client will almost always approach three as as not, they don't approach it as four, which is choose one of the three or go away. 
They actually uh, say, all right, I've got three, so I'm going to choose one of these. Which one will it be? And then they do negotiate, and it's okay to negotiate, but what you do is when you give a lesser price, you extract a little bit of the value that you give them. Service. And, sure. And they're okay with that, and you're okay with that because you're doing less or giving less value. Um, right. And it's that's the creative part, too, of CPA firms. And that's the thing that CPAs and almost really – uh, even the creative businesses we work with, they struggle with coming up with three because they say a client said they want a website. Well, I'm supposed to quote them a website. I'm like, no, there's a lot more they need. Uh, why don't you actually talk to them and see what they need and quote them three different options? Right. Um, and it, it, you know, it might not be a website. Maybe at the lower end, they don't get the website, but you, they get a little bit of social media marketing and work. And maybe that'll be the trick that that they really need to drive more traffic to their site or something like that. I don't know. So three yeah. options is one of the strategies to pricing. That's how you negotiate, I guess. Yeah, and that wasn't in the book, everybody, because I read it. That, that's right. <laughs> right. And, and, and John, it's actually funny. I've, I've used that when I've been pricing comedy gigs where I'll give them three different options of, of different levels of service where I go, well, for this, for this <laughs> price, for this big price, uh, I've got a knock-knock you... knock package that <laughs> will blow your socks off. <laughs> no, right, no, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, you, Greg, let me ask you this. Yeah. T- tell me about the creativity of coming up with those three options. If somebody says do a corporate gig, yeah, again, uh-huh. my my clients ask me this. They're like, how could I possibly come up with three options? Right. And what, what, and do you, what do you do? It's tough. Well, here, here's, here's, what, here's what I have done is I've differentiated – uh, my service for the three level of prices where, where I give the, and, and it's kind of funny because some of it, some of it sort of feels like smoke and mirrors. And I got to keep telling myself that I've got to make sure I give options that I really want to, uh, that, that any of the three options I'd be okay if they selected. Right. So sometimes for a private gig, I say like my lowest price, I'll be like he, for the, this, this, the, the lowest price, I'm going to do for your private gig basically the exact same stuff that I do in a club. And uh, and I know that that's not in a private setting. I find that the jokes that I write that are specific to that audience are the ones that they like the best, but that's also the most work for me. Mm. So uh, so I price that one the lowest saying you're just going to – it's the same as me doing a, a set in a comedy club. And I hope they don't pick it because that's not going to be fun for me and it's not going to be fun for them. And then I, I raise my price for the more, the more uh, customized and the more jokes and material that I write specifically for that uh, for that group, the higher my price goes. And John, you do you do a lot of very specific. You, you'll customize your uh, private shows, right? Yeah, even on my low price, I customize because you know what? I'm a giver. And um, no, no, <laughs> but, I, I, no. I, I, I said, agree. Said I the mean, broke comedian. Said the broke comedian who's <laughs> a, a guest on a podcast that isn't even recording right now. Uh, the uh, I I. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I usually do two tiers, although after listening to The Wizard, uh, I will do three. Uh, but um, I usually I do two where it's a, a stand-up option and then also like an interactive game show that I do right. um, oh, nice. as well. So, you know, that those are usually the two tiers, um, you know, depending on if you want length of show, you know, and, and, and yeah. the level of customization. But like yeah. Greg says, I mean, you know, you, you want them to do the customization and because, I mean, that's what's best for everybody. I mean, we've all yeah. been in the audience for a quote-unquote corporate entertainer, and you're like, this is terrible. Yeah. Just rip on the CEO for crying out loud exactly. and get this over with. And, you know, exactly. it doesn't have to be derogatory, but just in a funny way. And, you know, uh, talk about us. Like, don't talk about how yeah. you had a bad yeah. day and your wife is nagging you, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, like, and so, so yeah, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that is interesting, uh, and, the three-tier there's a little bit of theater to the whole three options things too that I that I yep. find in in the comedy thing. And Jason, it'd be interesting to see if you if you see this happening in uh, it, because when I do three, because I also do that when I'm pricing uh, uh, different like uh, stuff that I do at work, and so I don't see as much of the theatrics at at my day job as I do with, with, uh, with comedy. But a lot of times I'll give three options. And even if somebody picks a cheaper option, I sometimes still do, I, I, I do, I, I allow scope seep where I do, I still do customized stuff. 
for my my customer just because I know I'm going to have a better time and they're going to have a better time if I over deliver. You know, there there is no there is there is theater to pricing. So I I teach a course called the intimacies of pricing your customer, and it talks a lot about the preparation you do with before a, you before you, you even price and like tongue, like tongue kissing your customer. <laughs> Well, that would be that would be one option. That, that's what intimacies of pricing makes me think. That, that that would be one option. But what you do is, you know, we start we start with a value conversation. So if you think about it, if somebody's talking to you, and you're so the more they talk to you, and you're preparing them and asking them a lot of strategic things about, for example, their corporate event, exactly uh-huh. what would what would bring the greatest joy to everybody there. And then you said, let me talk to a few of the employees too. If you kept taking it further, what you're doing is you're preparing them to be priced. So what they're doing is they're starting to value you more. They're starting to trust you more before you've even delivered a price. And then when you deliver the price, I hear a lot of people go, wow. Yeah. I was expecting that. Um, Cause you, you've already proven that right. you guys really know what you're doing. I was expecting a little bit of a high price. And then when you make the high one, like almost they can't pick it. It's like ridiculously high. They go, well, that one's not the one I want. So what they do is about 80% of the people pick the middle. That's what yeah, happens. Right. That's what right. everybody does. And so you, and when you know that, you can actually, you can work it to where, all right, they said their budget was five, but you make the middle 6,500. Right. And, it, and it's everything they wanted. And the top one's ten or something. They're like, "Well, ten, you're crazy." But sixty five hundred—that's a little more. A lot of times, and, and it's a risk, right? A lot of times they'll go back, get more money in the budget. They'll go, "Listen, we can already tell you're awesome. No comedian. I mean, this is a this is a great example. No comedians ever prepared us, talked to us, really yeah. interviewed us. Um, so we're going to go ahead and risk the the sixty five hundred. But right. what you're doing is you're risking too, right? So. But yep. what you may do is you give them a low price of three grand or whatever, and they go, "Wow, we're not. We're just getting a one-hour set, and we're, he can't be there." You know, throwing around these dollars. Would you like to be my agent? You, uh, <laughs> hey, it's more. It's more like sixty-five dollars. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, we're gonna. Yeah, and we want, and you want four numbers in every single quote. And then what we do is we actually do it in a visual way. It's we use colors and we present right. it in a nice online whiteboard called concept board. They can write on it. Uh, and it's a further representation of, you know, we care about what we're doing. We even care about how we price people. Um, and then it just, it's setting them all up for, for how awesome you really are. Okay. Well, Jason, we're about, we, we need to wrap up so we can get to the secret stash. Pricing good stuff. Of, of this interview. But I, I do want to, I, I do want to touch one more thing before we get to that. Um, that's it, back it to the intimacies like, of pricing, right? You want to touch one more thing? Oh, <laughs> yeah, God, yeah, let's sorry. Okay, too far, Jason. You, okay, we talk now. Are a bad influence a, on me. Here is what I your book is predicated on the idea that it never, it's never said explicitly, Bible. but it's clear from the ebook that, uh, that you assume that these companies kick butt at what they do. I flatly deny that that's in there. Right. And that's what I said. It's not in there, but I think it's implied by what you said. And I think that part of it too, that when you're given these prices, you're, you can price high because you're awesome at what you do. Well, they kick butt because he's coaching them, Greg. Right. I mean, let's get honest. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. You, okay. You know what? You got to see, I did, I just did a video. And a flannel board. Are you selling a video now too? <laughs> That's a, a good fl- idea. No, a the, flannel board? That's some high-tech stuff. Yeah, dude. so I did a flannel board story on the house of value. And the very last part of the house of value is the roof, which is the service, which proves the value. So I think what you were getting at is can you prepare people and then can you price them and then can you suck? No. So you've got to prepare people to be priced and then you price them. That's when you give them the price. And then you have to prove your price, which is really making good on all the promises you told them uh, in the preparation phase when you're like, we're awesome and all that. Yeah. You've got to be, you've got to be awesome. 
Right. And so actually you just brought to my mind one thing that I learned from Baker and from uh, from his whole thing. And that is giving a uh, 100% money back guarantee on your service. That's it. As well. Well, John, that takes you, away the fear. And so you, have, yeah, you guys yeah. should do that in comedy. Have you ever I do done that with that, my CD, actually? My CD, I have money back guarantee. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. Have you, ever, have you ever done it with a show? Uh, I've never done it with a show. How do you do that with a show? You, you just say if I because well because it's a funny. But I mean, thing. who's going to decide? I mean, you know, the the buyer. You have a, a three hundred people that were laughing their butt off, and the buyers over there it's, like a curmudgeon, like. Meh. I think. Well, <laughs> I think like, that's it. But but John, we've all and and I, whoever's in business, everyone's had bad experiences with whoever they're doing business with. And John, I've I've done private shows for people who are like, oh my gosh, last year we had an Elvis impersonator come to our Christmas party, and <laughs> right. he he you know, and we he he was like he groped one of our people while he was <laughs> right, here, right, and it was right, so right. horrible, and well, we that, just yeah. and they and they're gun shy to do any entertainment. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Well, that'll be my third tier. I'll just yeah. raise the price, and I'll say this one is money back guarantee. Yeah, well, and I think that's true. That's you another pay a level premium, and then you know it's up to and me the, to bring the heat. If you think yeah. that I didn't earn it, then money back guarantee. I, yeah. Okay. So now listen. Hang on. That's uh-huh. okay. I money back guarantees are very good. Do you use them, Jason? I I do. But here's what we do. You can strategically use them when you think it's the right client. Okay. You, so just be careful right. about that. And the service of comedy, it's like, wow, talk talk about, you know. Subjective. Sub, yeah, subjective. It's so subjective. There's I no mean, numbers to base your growth or, any, you know, and there's right. no happiness meter. Well, well think know, about this. But, okay, but, okay, so we're talking about some good stuff. So if, in fact, you're in an industry like comedy where there's possibly no way to guarantee what maybe you can build, maybe you can do that. Maybe you can say, in my acts, and this is the creativity part of making you better than the, the other competitors, I do something that I know always works. It's such a great thing. Yeah. Um, like, for example, you know, there's this guy that toured college campuses. He was a hypnosis dude. Did you guys ever see this guy? There's like that. Oh, yeah, I did. There's a John, million of them. Did you see him too? Right, right, yeah. That His guy, name we was, know exactly who you're talking about. That's Bob. This dude was freaking awesome. Every time he came, he packed the house. So he could give a guarantee because right. he could make people walk around and uh, act like chickens. And so he he was able, he can guarantee. But if you get up there and crack jokes, can you? I don't know. But but like a game show, that's yeah. the bomb. I mean, yeah, you can right, start right. guaranteeing that stuff because nobody's yeah. doing that. That's right. cool. So then you get creative in what you offer so that you can then, in fact, guarantee something you know will actually Right. Uh, and, and I would see awesome. with that do if you if you take the time to do a because so often and this this is true I think in every profession you take a new client without having a, a an in depth conversation of who they are and what they want and what their experiences have been in the past. So if you have somebody who you see has been burned big time in the past, maybe that's another indicator that that's someone you need to give a money back guarantee to because that's going to allay their fears and help them pull the trigger with you. Right, and, and what you've done is you've just you've just started building the preparation phase. So preparation will be a conversation with a lot yeah. of strategic questions. Now right. we know one of the questions you put on there is, have you ever been hurt in the past? Have you ever had an experience with a comedian? What was your thoughts? And they started crying. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, I did. Back when I was... And, and then you know. Yeah, you become a therapist. Well, Jason, this has been exciting to talk to you. Oh, it's yeah. been so, so such a thrill to have someone of your caliber on this podcast <laughs> And uh, but we gotta we gotta go. Yeah. Uh, so so th- stay on the line. We'll keep this conversation going. But thanks so much for being part of the sure. Thrivecast, man. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. I was on. All right. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, guys. That was our October 2013 Thrivecast. Thanks so much to Jason M. Blummer for being our esteemed guest on on the uh, the Thrivecast. Uh, interesting stuff, John. I I, I yeah. think what he, what he had to say applies to everyone from CPA world to comedy world. Absolutely, and and never should those two worlds meet. Uh, <laughs> as as you and I have have demonstrated, never right. shall those shall those meet. Uh, and and John, thanks a million to you for oh, being thank you, our. Matt. 
our guest host, dude, you're hilarious. And in the secret stash, we even talked about how bad managers don't want to have rock stars because they don't want to be eclipsed by those rock stars. And I'm pretty sure that if I get on Jason's nerves too bad, that he's going to get you back to, to be the co-host. You were fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you, man. Hilarious. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. It, it was it was great and and yeah you're you're great. If someone wants to get a hold of you or someone wants to hire you for for a uh, for a, an event, how would they do that? Oh, absolutely. Well, my website is johngcomedy.com. So just j o h n g comedy.com. And on there, I have some uh, YouTube videos, like some music videos. I rewrote "Eye of the Tiger" nice. to be "We're All Out of Toner." Or, uh, you know, a bunch of music videos. I also have a web series I do every week called Market Watch Watch. It's kind of like the daily show for business news. And it's uh, so, great. I'm a, I'm a big Market Watch Watch fan. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, just John G. Comedy. There's the Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz on there. Yeah, too. and it's all and, – and you're pre- you pretty much branded with that John G. Comedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it seems to be what the domain that was available because apparently John Garrett is a pretty popular name. Also, right. my dad's name. So, uh, you know, uh, so he already, so he already had all the URLs for that. Yeah, I think you, my dad went out and got all the URLs, yeah. and like, he won't. He's just camping on him, waiting for a better offer. Right. Exactly. He, he knows how. He knows how much you make. That's that's awesome. Um, yeah, perfect. And there's uh, so if somebody want, what if somebody just wanted to listen to some of your standup? Do you got that out in the world? Yeah, absolutely. It's on iTunes, also on CD Baby, uh, and uh, YouTube clips as well, all through my website, johngcomedy.com. Okay, uh, awesome. And, uh, and we'll try to get some, we'll get links to all that stuff on the show notes. Um, for me, you can contact me, Greg at gregkite.com for some email. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, pretty much everything is uh, Greg Kite. Uh, whether that's my website, gregkite.com, if that Twitter, I'm at gregkite, uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Jason Blummer, uh, who's not, who's not actually with us right now. Right, Jason. Oh, right. Can I, come you off can contact now? him at his Twitter is at Jason M Blummer. Uh, you can also, uh, email him at info at thrival dot, uh, org. And so, um, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> no, info, info, info at Blummer dot edu. Uh, <laughs> And <laughs> you're going to redirect all my fan mail to the wrong URL. His website is, uh, is now www.growthstrategiesforcreative.net. Um, <laughs> it's singular. And uh, uh, next month, we got a, we got our, our live Thrivecast. It's coming at you from the Deeper Weekend, which is going to be amazing. Um, Jason, can they still sign up for the Deeper Weekend? Yes, they can. Okay. You can go go to Thrival.com to find out how you can still get in on a Deeper Weekend. No, they can't because this isn't going to come out till after the Deeper Weekend. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you missed Never mind. Weekend, you're a huge loser. Wait till November to hear what you missed out on, guys. This is the thrive. I'm, I'm, I'm Greg Kite. John, give a shout out, real quick. Hey, John Garrett, thank you guys so much. And Jason Blumber's here too. Thanks so much for listening to the Thrivecast. We'll catch you all next week, month, next week.